happy to see everybody here. I do want to explain uh, Pastor Joe was supposed to do the service this morning. Uh, we got a text from him yesterday afternoon, and Pastor Joe is um, not feeling well, and he's not sure what it is. He doesn't know if it's COVID, and he doesn't know if it's contagious. So he asked the question, should I come and preach, which he was perfectly willing to do, or should I not, you know, so I don't spread the illness. And Pastor Heavy suggested that he um, stay home, and I agreed with that. Um, now, of course, Mrs. Hovey had surgery Monday. Pastor Hovey's been taking care of Mrs. Hovey all week. Pastor Hovey said he will put together a sermon and come here um, and, and preach it. Um, and then I volunteered and told him, look, I was supposed to do Sunday school this morning. If you would rather, I can do that in the afternoon. We can have a prayer meeting. I mean, I can do that in the morning. We can have a prayer meeting um, uh, for Sunday school instead, and that way he doesn't have to try to, to come up with a sermon while he's taking care of Mrs. Hovey. Um, and he agreed. So here I am. Um, but I do want to make sure I point out that both of them were willing. Pastor Joe was perfectly willing to come in here sick and preach. And Pastor Hovey was perfectly willing to find someone else to take care of Mrs. Hovey and, um, and come here and, and, and preach. Um, and I, I wasn't volunteering because necessarily I wanted to, um, but I felt like that's what the Lord wanted me to do. Um, so I'm a little out of my comfort zone. Please bear with me. Have grace on me. Don't throw anything at me. Um, but this is where the Lord has me today. The circumstances that brought this about were his, um, not mine. Um, so let's uh, go ahead. I'm going to start with the, uh, my glasses. It's not going well already. <laughs> Okay, let's turn to 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Okay, and let's open with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, um, I just come to you now, Lord, and I'm just uh, here to serve you, Lord, and I just pray, Lord, that whatever I say uh, will be words that will come from you, Lord, and that whatever I do will be of you, Lord, not of myself, Lord. Um, this is an uncomfortable place for me to be, Lord. The only comfort I have is knowing that this is where you want me. So that's where I will be. I just uh, thank you. Pray that you give me clarity of what I'm trying to say, that I won't mix up my words. Uh, and just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, Terry, what you read, Psalms 15, we never talked about what I was going to be talking about. So I thank you for that because I've been a little nervous and that was a great confirmation. Um, and you'll see why as I go through um, what we're going to be talking about. Um, but, but here's the question is, why are young people, or for that matter, older people, leaving the church or the faith? 
And to be clear, when I say leaving the faith, I don't mean leaving their salvation, because if you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. I'm talking about um, walking away from the Lord. Um, I wanted to look up some statistics on that, and I'm not very good at looking things up on the computer. And about two days ago, I was looking through my dresser, and I found a book. And I just happened to open that book up, and this is what was on the page I turned to. 61% of young people have left the faith in so far as they are not attending church, praying, or reading their Bibles. That book that I read was a book written by Matt Adams, our Matt Adams. It's called Ordinary Homeschool Dad, and he had gotten that information from a book written by I should have wrote down his name, but I can't remember it. Um, Ken Ham. Good. Thank you. Okay, so thank you, Matt. You saved me the trouble of going on a computer. Um, the question is why, and I think there's several reasons why. Uh, today we're just going to explore two of them. The two that we're going to explore, I'm not saying that these are the top two, um, but these are two that we as individuals can do something about. And I think if we understand these two, I think it will strengthen the body as a whole. The first one I want to talk about is hypocrisy. It can be defined as assuming a false appearance of virtue, deceitful show of character. Um, another way to define it would be if the little fish on your car or your van are swimming fast, and they get a ticket, it's deserved. But if the little fish on the back of my van are swimming fast and I get a ticket, I didn't deserve it. Okay, that's kind of a, a, a maybe didn't make a lot of sense, but it did to me anyway. Uh, we, all, we all have moments of hypocrisy. It's not, it's something we all deal with from day to day or different times in our life. It's similar to pride that we all have it, but we don't always see it, okay? Not only can hypocrisy drive believers out of the church, it can and does drive away the lost. That's some biblical examples of hypocrisy. If you'll turn to Matthew 23, and hypocrisy in the Bible is not a hard thing to find, or discussion of hypocrisy in the Bible is not a hard thing to find, you clarify that. There's a lot, Christ addresses hypocrisy a lot in the Bible. But Matthew 23, verses 23 through 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye all pay tithe of the mint, anise, and cumin, and have admitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at the gnat and swallow a camel, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of your cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Though blind Pharisees cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye, like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, 
but are within full, dead of men, full of dead man's bones and of uncleanliness. Even so, also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Let's turn to Mark, uh, to Mark chapter 12. Will be verses 38 through 44. Like I said, I planned this for Sunday school. I didn't intend on having to read all these myself. Um, and he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms of the feast which devour widows' houses, and for pretense make long prayers. These shall receive damnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and behold how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow has cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. For they all did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Okay, and then let's go to Second Samuel 12. Um, verses 1 through 8. And this, I think, to me, is a, is a clear example of hypocrisy. Um, You've got to remember, this is uh, King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had uh, murdered her husband. Uh, so let's begin Second uh, Samuel, verse 12. 1 through 8. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave the house of Israel and Judea. And if, I had, if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee 
such and such things. Okay, so that's a pretty clear, uh, a pretty clear uh, example of hypocrisy. So let's look at what Christ had to say about hypocrisy. We'll go to Mark 7, verses 5 and 6. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why? Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, and eat the bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Okay, and then Luke 6. Um, verse 42. Either how how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thy myself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thy own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Okay, and there's many, many more scriptures that, that speak of hypocrisy. That, and, and Christ exposed the hypocrisy of the um, Pharisees, and he did it in a very public way. Uh, I believe that he did that because Christ understood how damaging their hypocrisy were as a stumbling block to the people and how damaging it would be uh, in the future. Nobody likes a, a hypocrite. Nobody likes a phony. Uh, they hold them in disdain, especially when it's somebody that has authority over you, like the police. You know, if the police um, commit a crime, well, let's say you get arrested, let's say you don't, but let's say somebody gets arrested for stealing, um, and then they hear on the news the next day that the police got arrested for stealing which happened when I was a kid in my little city I grew up in, cameras first came out, and these business had cameras in there. But nobody knew about cameras back then. Somebody, a burglar broke in, and he stole a few things and left, and the police got called, and it was at night, and they went out there doing the investigation, and they opened the trunk and loaded it up too. Um, So they, they stole probably more than the burglar did. But it was hypocritical, and that's what causes disdain in people. Your boss, your boss may sit, sit you down and, and tell you, you, you know, you're, you're not showing up to work on time or you're leaving too early or whatever it may be. Um, and then the next thing you know, he slips out the door early or he comes in late. Uh, politicians have a reputation as being hypocrites. They always have. Um, during COVID, it's been greatly amplified. You know, we've all heard the stories of the the governor in California has been a great one with going out to the restaurant and, and eating with no mask on when he required everybody to take their mask off between bites. And he's not the only one. It's been, it's been, um, been a lot of the politicians and probably all, pretty much all of them. I think that's one reason why President Trump uh, was so popular. Not that President Trump was perfect because he certainly wasn't. 
not you know by far, but he pretty much said what he was going to do, and he did it, and he wasn't hypocritical. He, whether he was right or wrong, he told you what he was going to do. Um, the other thing about hypocrisy, we're often blinded by our own hypocrisy, like King David was. Uh, King David's actual, the sin of murder and adultery was obviously much greater than the hypocrisy. Um, but for our discussion, uh, that's what we're talking about. Um, but King David didn't see his hypocrisy. He was blinded to it. It wasn't until Nathan said, I forget exactly what he said, but he said it was you. Thou art, thou art him, I think is the words he used. Um, that was open King David's eyes because prior to that, King David was ready to go after this guy. Um, I have had my own King David moment. Um, I have one in particular that comes to mind. When I was working for the police department, we were doing uh, an experimental direct booking where we had our own jail and we would book people into our jail, but we were going to consider starting to book people into the county jail directly, which I think is what they do now. But back then we didn't. Um, we were very streamlined in how to deal with our arrest. Um, so I was working in the DWI task force. We made a lot of arrests that resulted in charges that would end up going to the county jail. So we, our, our section was the logical choice to do the direct book, is what they called it. So we were having meetings, which was unusual for me. It was just, it was just uh, 10 officers and two sergeants, and one of the sergeants was kind of in charge of being a liaison with the county, and I went with them, and I was meeting with the, with the captains and the assistant chiefs of the county, and they were discussing all the different problems involved in it. And we got to know one of the captains who was a captain of the jail of the, of the sheriff's office. Anyway, later on, I'm working overtime during the day on what's called STEP, I don't know if they still have it, Christian, but it's a program with money from the state to write tickets. And that's all you're out there to do is write tickets. If you get stopped by a police officer who's working step and you can talk out of your way out of the ticket, you're very gifted. Because if he lets you go, he's got to write another one to make up for it. Anyway, I stopped this young girl, uh, wrote her a ticket. Didn't even name never crossed my mind. And I don't think it even crossed my mind. It happened to be her birthday. Um, but I gave her the ticket, and she said, Officer, it's my birthday. And I mean, what am I going to say? I said, happy birthday. <laughs> and I gave her the ticket, and I left. Well, then a week or two later, I'm sitting in the sergeant's office, and, and he says, the whole direct book program is in jeopardy. And I was like, why? What's the matter? And he said, well, a Houston police officer stopped the, the daughter of the sheriff's office uh, jail and wrote her a ticket. And he wasn't upset about the ticket. But the officer told her happy birthday, and he felt like that was really unnecessary. And I said, who would do that? Why would somebody say that? And I meant it. I mean, it never crossed my mind. And he didn't say, thou art him. He said, it was you. Um, and he was joking. It didn't jeopardize the program. Um, but I guess it happened so I could share that with you today. I wish it was my only hypocritical moment. It wasn't, but it's the only one I'm going to talk about right now. Again, nobody likes a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be around them. So if we as a church behave as hypocrites, why would anyone want to be around us? Our hypocrisy, unfortunately, is seen more by our families and especially our children than anywhere. That's why I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand here and say, 
I have my hypocritical moments because I don't want my children to jump up in the middle of this and say, you are him, okay? So I have mine, and I would imagine you have yours as well. Um, I think I turned the page too soon. Sorry. See, I never went to seminary, so I don't know about all these page-turning things and whatnot. Um, Okay, when I, back when I was a police officer, and I know I like to talk about that a lot, it's because I'm not one anymore, but um, one of the things they taught us, and I don't know if they still tell you that, Christian, but they said, and it was true, often somebody will never have an encounter with a police officer except maybe getting a ticket, but they'll never have an encounter. Um, if they do, it's because their house got broken into or something like that. For us, we were running the calls all day, so we, you know, we were meeting with people all day, but we didn't always realize that they're not meeting with the police all day. So they told us that that one contact you have with them could very well form their opinion or change their preconceived ideas of what a police officer is like. So basically, they said to be nice to people, um, and I think I think it was uh, I think it was a good idea, and I think it's also true in the Christian life, and it's actually more much more important. The lost often have the lost often have preconceived ideas about Christians, um, and when they meet with us and find out we're a Christian by the the fish on our van that swim too fast sometimes, um, or the um, the message on our phone or what shirt we happen to be wearing, and if we're acting as a Christian, and we've heard several examples of that, it can be it can spread the gospel. But if we're not, it can be very damaging to the gospel. We'll talk about that a little bit later here in a few minutes, but I have a story of a friend who he will, is completely unreceptive to the gospel um, because of what he was exposed to. But her story about a man named Bob, um, he, uh, he's driving to church, and um, there's another family is driving to church. They don't know each other. And Bob accidentally cuts him off. And or, I'm sorry, they accidentally cut Bob off, his family. And, and Bob leans out the window and starts yelling at him and blowing the horn. And he's tailgating him at the light and, you know, calling him all kinds of names, bad driver, or where'd you get your driver's license, and all these different things. Well, then they separate ways, and this family goes on to church, and they walk in the door, and they're visitors. And one of the men comes, oh, you need to come meet our, our visiting uh, deacon. He'll tell you more about the church. And they said, wonderful. So they walk up, and he says, this is Bob. He's, our, he's the deacon that takes care of the visitors. Well, they look at Bob, and they say, well, actually, we've already met. Okay? That's an example of hypocrisy. Another one I heard, and I don't think these two are true, or maybe they are, I don't know. But well, I know this one's probably not true. But the police are behind this car at the light, She's got the, the fish symbol on her car, and she's smoking. The radio's blasting. She's on the phone screaming and yelling at somebody. The light turns green. She's cutting people off. She's throwing trash out of the car. Well, the police are behind her, and the officer's a Christian himself, and he pulls her over, and he arrests her for driving a stolen car. And they get to the police station, and they determine that was her car. And she says, officer, why did you arrest me? That was driving my own car. I said, well, ma'am, I saw that fish on the back of your car, and I knew you couldn't possibly be a Christian. That car had to have been stolen. 
but it wasn't, okay? The third one is a true story, unfortunately. It's a friend of mine I worked with um, in the police department. He was a little bit older than I was, and we would eat breakfast together often, and we would visit. And uh, he knew I was a homeschooler, and I was a Christian, and he had plenty of negative things to say about that. Um, but I would try to talk to him, and he told me one day, he said, I grew up in a Catholic church. Um, I was an altar boy. And he said, I watched the priest after the service was over. I would watch him steal money out of the offering and get drunk on the wine. And his kids were actually going to a Baptist church to meet people, this guy, uh, my friends, but he would have nothing to do with the gospel. Nothing, anything having to do with religion he felt was a scam. And he was in his 60s, and this is back to something he saw when he was a child. Those, the behavior of those priests have put the blood on their hands of him. He's not going to ever, unless God intervenes in a miraculous way, he's never going to be open to the, to the gospel. Uh, And like I said, our kids, they see it in us too. And that's the, the biggest concern. And I think that's the concern with, the, with kids leaving, sometimes leaving the church is they, they see that in us and they, um, and they see it in others. And it causes them to, um, to question, question Scripture, question our, our behavior, question whether God is real or whether they want to be a part of it. Hypocrisy is often tied to pride. The rules are for someone, but not for me. Like pride, we often don't see it, as King David did not. When the scales were removed, we see it very clearly. Let's pray for those scales to be removed sooner rather than later. Nobody likes a hypocrite or a phony. No one likes that behavior. Our kids see it, they see it in us, and they see it in others. Okay, the second thing I want to talk about is jurisdiction or crossing thereof. It's also closely related to judgmentalism. Jurisdiction, that's a definition that I came up with, but I think it's pretty accurate. An area you have responsibility and or authority over. The government has a, well, let me say this. I think I came up with it. Sometimes I read something and then later on it comes to my mind that I think I thought of it, so maybe I didn't. But anyway, uh, a government, your jurisdiction is usually a geographical area, but there's exceptions. And Christian, you can't raise your hand, but how many people in here would know the, the jurisdiction of a Houston police officer? What's his jurisdiction? What would you all think? Anybody want to raise their hand that doesn't already really know the answer? Or what would you assume? No, the jurisdiction, the, the, the area. How much of an area do they have? Where, where, where is their jurisdiction? Where does it end, their authority end? Yes, ma'am. City limits, okay. Anybody else? Well, I'll explain it to you real quick. When I started the police department, the jurisdiction of a Houston police officer was anywhere in the state um, because they were state peace officers. So they had the power to arrest and the authority to arrest anywhere in the state. Now, over the years, it's gone back and forth. And I think where it was when I left, and it probably is still today, they have the power to arrest anywhere in the state for a felony or, or a, a breach of the peace, 
which falls into a lot of areas, um, or it, it, in the county, any county that touches the city. For in Houston, it'd be three counties. Um, but you did not hear to hear a lecture on the jurisdiction of the police department. Uh, federal law. Usually the federal law is within the boundaries of the United States, right? There's exceptions to that, too. Certain crimes against a U.S. citizen outside of the U.S. And I don't know why these things stick in my mind, but there was a man named Leon Klinghoffer. I'm pretty sure that's his name, and I'm going to tell you the story. It may not be 100% accurate because I just didn't look it up. I just remember it. But he was President Reagan was the president. He was on a cruise ship out in the middle of you know, the ocean somewhere, and the terrorist hijacked it. He was an elderly man. He was Jewish. He was in a wheelchair, and they threw him overboard. Well, that happened outside the jurisdiction of the United States. But you know what? They said it was a crime to murder, or commit terrorism or murder against a U.S. citizen anywhere in the world. So the U.S. government went after him, and I would imagine they caught him. I'm not sure what they did with him, um, but they did. Another example, real quick, was a, uh, this is a DEA agent, again, when Reagan was president. He was working undercover in Mexico, and uh, he was murdered in you might remember this. His name was Enrique. I don't remember his last name, but they, President Reagan closed the border for a time. He wouldn't let anybody, I mean, literally the bridges where the traffic was coming in. They were searching every car. He was trying to put pressure on the Mexican government because they knew who ordered the killing was a leader of a drug cartel. But the Mexican government wouldn't hand him over because he was subject to the death penalty, and they won't extradite somebody subject to the death penalty. So the DEA, and the DEA is a drug enforcement agency, it's a federal agency if you're not familiar with it. They went into Mexico and they kidnapped the drug lord and they cut a hole in the fence and they pushed him through the hole and the border patrol was waiting on the other side and as he came through that hole they said, you're under arrest for entering the uh, United States illegally. And by the way, there's a, mortar, a warrant for your arrest for murder. Um, and that went through the courts, and I don't know where it ever ended up. The DEA agents were not breaking any laws and kidnapping him of the United States because they were outside the United States. They did break a lot of laws in Mexico, um, and I don't think those guys ever went back. Parents, what's the, what's the jurisdiction of a parent? That's a pretty easy one. I'm sorry, kids, but your parents have jurisdiction over you worldwide, anywhere. All right? So crimes by U.S. citizens possibly outside the geographical areas or boundaries. We're going to talk about real quick, and this is going to go somewhere, I hope, uh, treason. And I'm talking about the buzzword that we're hearing of treason today where politicians throw it around, but <clears throat> the, uh, the actual code. It's found in Title 18, which you've ever looked at the U.S. laws I've never seen one that didn't say Title 18, so I don't know what the other ones are. Excuse me, but Title 18 covers a lot. Chapter 115, Section 2381, treason. I'm just going to read a part of it real quick. Whoever owing allegiance to the United States levies war against them or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort, remember that word, within the United States or elsewhere, is guilty of treason and shall suffer death or shall be imprisoned for not less than five years. Under the same code, a different section, 2388, 
Um, activities affecting the armed forces during war. Notice it says affecting the armed forces. Whoever, when the United States is at war, willfully makes or conveys false reports or statements with, with the intent to interfere with the success of the military or naval forces of the United States or to promote the success of its enemies. Or whoever, when the United States is at war, willfully causes or attempts to cause insubordination, disloyalty, mutiny, or refusal of duty in the military or naval forces of the United States. Okay, the key phrase in here is promote the success of its enemies. And these laws are laws that are applicable to civilians. There's also more, much more strict laws that are applicable to uh, soldiers. Um, and I don't, there's not been a war. We've not declared war on anybody since World War II. That's the last time the Congress ever declared war. We've been to war. There was Vietnam. There's Korea. There's Iraq. All these different things. But none of them did the Congress declare war. And there's a reason for it. I'm not sure what it is. To the guys that are there, it really doesn't make any difference. Um, you know, you're still getting shot at. Uh, but during World War II, there were Americans that were arrested for violations of these laws. Some of them were tried for mere words that they spoke. The words were spoken usually over a radio, and they were designed to hurt the war effort, giving aid to the enemy. So you've got your, your troops or wherever they are in the world maybe storming the beaches of uh, 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 Normandy or wh wherever it is. And there's these radio uh, stations in, in Europe, and sometimes there were Americans, citizens that they had there on these. And they would play music to entertain the troops, and the troops would listen to it because there's nothing else to listen to. But in between, they would say things to the soldiers to demoralize them. Your, your comrades are falling. The things could be true. Your comrades are falling on the battlefield. They're being killed. You know, who, where, where's your wife? Where's your children? Who's going to raise your children? Different things that were demoralizing. And they were just mere words. And these people were tried and subject for, to treason and subject to the death penalty. I don't know if any of them got the death penalty. I know some of them went to prison. But I remember, mere words, because they were promoting the success of the enemy. So you're probably wondering, where are we going with all this? Um, because you guys and ladies are not listing for the war, I don't think. But you are. You're already in war. Okay, we are at war. Are we not? Yes, we are. We are soldiers in that war. Who are we following? We're following Christ. Onward Christian Soldiers, one of my favorite songs when I was a child, and it still is. Who are our enemies? Satan in our own flesh. We are all on the front lines. Fathers and mothers, you're leading a unit into battle, whether you want to be or not. Now, you may not be leading it well, or you may, but you are leading it. The outcome of the war has already been determined. We don't know who will be the casualties, who we will lose to the enemy, the enemy can never take what, but the enemy can never take what belongs to Christ. So if you're saved, we don't have to worry about losing you to the enemy. But the enemy can still use you. Do we give aid and comfort to the enemy? Let's turn to 1 Timothy 5.13. And with all, 
They to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybody, speaking things which ought not. Think about that, wandering about from house to house is what was written in Scripture years ago. What would it look like today? Would it be wandering text to text, phone call to phone call, post to post on Facebook or whatever? Just as the engine has made man much more effective on the battlefield with tanks or whatever it may be, or the technology, today's technology has made the ability to wander much more effective. A tattler is someone who excessively talks, especially on trivial matters. A busybody is speaking things which ought not. Speaking things which ought not. It doesn't say speaking things which aren't true. It just says speaking things which ought not. Dwight, I call this the Dwight Hewlin Doctrine. You're very familiar with it. Pastor Hovey's mentioned it many times. Just because it's true doesn't mean it needs to be said. Let's go to Proverbs 17.9 real quick. He that, he that covereth a transgression, transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. 1 Peter 4.15, we can turn there. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. A murderer obviously takes a life. A thief takes property. An evildoer goes about causing evil. A busybody takes a reputation. He takes relationships and he turns others, or can turn others, from the, from the body of Christ or from the gospel. In this verse, it talks about other men's affairs. What does that mean? Well, this can be an action. It could be, you could be a busybody if, if, if Dick, I don't think he's going to do this, but if he came over to my house, especially while I wasn't home, and decided to rearrange everything, not talking about cleaning it, that would be appreciated, but just rearranging things to where he thinks it's in better order than what I have or what we have. That's, you would think if he did that to your home, he's being a little bit of a busybody. Okay? He's putting things in what he thinks is in order. But the more common way and the more destructive is by words. These words can be spoken to or they can be spoken about a person. They can be true or they can be not true. The phrase is, other men's affairs, which means they're not yours. Uh, turn over to Titus 2, I mean, I'm sorry, Titus 3, 2. I've got so many pieces of paper in my Bible that I can't hardly find anything. 
because I didn't want to have to spend a lot of time looking things up. Um, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Okay, so what are we talking about here? Speaking evil of no man. How do we define evil? Well, I can tell you this much. If the person you're speaking about feels like it's evil, it, it is. Um, not fighting, arguing with each other, but to be gentle, to be kind, to be considerate, to be compassionate. Often that can be as simple as putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes. My grandmother used to have a little sign, and I wish I had it in her, in her kitchen, and it said, I once had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. So when we, when we put ourselves in other people's shoes, which this guy couldn't, but he could put himself in the circumstances, um, things look different. Okay. Um, meekness. A heart loving of others more than yourself, not looking to one-up somebody. And this is showing meekness to all men. It doesn't limit who they are. Notice, none of these verses mention as to whether or not the words being spread are true or not, which I've said that already. It's no more okay to gossip about what is true than it is what is untrue. Go to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These, thing, these six things doeth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that will be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord amongst the brethren. Seeds grow many, many times their size. So when seeds are sown, they often grow, and it may take years to grow. My friend uh, that was the altar boy, those seeds grew and grew and grew for years, and now it, it's going to take a miracle from the Lord for him to, to be open to the gospel. Seeds of discord planted in churches have wreaked havoc. Some of these churches have not survived. And others, many believers, have left their local churches and never found another. Some have instead sought the perfection, I say in quotes, of their own homes for worship, if they worship at all. And what I'm saying is, I'm not saying you can't worship in your home. I'm saying that some people have been so hurt by what they've seen in the church, that they've, they've left the church, and they, they, they church at home. And some people just leave the church and they don't worship at all. There have been many seeds of, of discord sown against police officers by city officials. I know this from experience, 
The police are used to and expect to not always have 100% support of the community, and they're fine with that. But when the elected officials over them, whether it be city, state, or federal, or even sometimes more importantly, the courts no longer support them, they begin to shut down. We have seen a form of treason, treason against our police officers. We have seen how that promotes the success of the enemy. You remember that term from the, we talked about treason? In this case, the enemy is criminals. Crime is up all over the country. I think our leaders, and I'm hearing this in the news, are beginning to see this was a mistake to cut the budgets and, and, and go after the police. But the seed's been planted, and it's going to be very difficult. You can double the budgets. You can tell the police how much you support them, but it's going to be difficult for them to stick their necks back out again because they don't know who's going to be the next guy that's going to end up on the news. The acts that we are told in these scriptures that I've shared, um, we are told not to do in these scriptures, they all give aid to the enemy. They sow, swords of, they sow seeds of discord in the body. Have you ever noticed when you're reading something silently, you don't get the words mixed up? Or is that just me? But when I try to talk, it works differently. Anyway, they sow seeds of discord in the body, which promotes the success of the enemy. And there's that term again of treason. Promotes the success of the enemy. They cause broken relationships in the body which promotes the success of the enemy, the enemy being Satan. They can cause especially young, but all people to become bitter toward the church, which promotes the success of the enemy. They cause the lost to be turned away from the gospel, which promotes the success of the enemy. There's a term PK, which means preacher's kids, and it's not been the case in our church, which is a blessing, but often Preacher's kids are known to be rebellious. Um, and one reason, I think, is, is if you grow up as a child seeing your dad pouring his life into people and those same people are basically stabbing him in the back, um, it's painful to a child. They don't understand. They don't understand that we're all sinners. They, they take offense for their father and they turn rebellious toward the church, which rebellious toward the Lord. But this isn't limited just to preacher's kids. Any child is loyal to his parents, to his brother, to his sister, sister, or sisters, and to a lesser degree, to the friends in their lives. When he sees the people of God using one of our most powerful and uncontrollable weapons to go after loved ones, he is likely to react. Sadly, that may come years later by leaving the faith. The weapon of choice is the tongue. Let's turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds 
yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeneth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter is a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and seeth and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is setteth on fire of it, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, or of every bird, and every serpent, and things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And that's my tongue. That's my tongue. The tongue is like a firearm. In the right hands, it's very useful and safe. In the wrong hands, it is deadly, either by accident or intent. There was a family visiting a church, and this is a true story. The wife had streaks of pink in her hair. This is years ago before I think it became more common, popular. A person in the church told her the pastor is picky about who joins that church, and he won't like her pink hair. That shot fired from the tongue may not have had the intent, but the family never returned. When you have been shot, whether it be by accident or intent, the bullet is still there. Not only was that a slanderous act, because it wasn't true, but it was as a busybody in another men's affairs. I'm sure the pastor of that church would have preferred to speak for himself. On the other hand, there's another church that I heard about where there's a young man was dating a girl from France, and she was an atheist. She didn't want anything to do with God, but she wanted something to do with him, um, and she started visiting the church, and people started loving her, not judging her, but loving her, and she felt the love of the people in that church. And today, this woman is a very devout Christian. She got saved because of the love that went through the tongue, and it saved her. She, 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 turned, she turned to Christ. Again, 1 Peter 4.15, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's affairs. Pastor Helvey has often commented how a murderer is included with a busybody. Consider this. A murderer takes a life. A thief takes property. An evildoer is a criminal. He destroys lives. A busybody takes relationships changes the path of what could have been, causes strife in the body, sometimes leading to bitterness and broken relationships. All promote the success of the enemy. And I do not mean to say a busybody deserves to do such, because they may not, but his actions can certainly promote the success of the enemy. Sometimes we just may not be thinking, or we may mean well. The spoken word cannot be stopped any more than a bullet accidentally fired. Back to Peter, uh, 1 Peter 4.15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's affairs. I would rather have, I would rather be murdered, have all my property stolen, have evil things done against me, 
than to have any of my children driven from the faith. If they were unsaved, which is a blessing then in the case of mine, they are not, they are all saved. But if they were not, they could be condemned to, they could be they could be condemned to hell. And the likelihood that their children would ever enter their faith or be receptive to the gospel would be reduced. And I would think that all of you would feel the same way. All of you would be rather be murdered or have things stolen than to have your children leave the, leave the faith. I'm not wanting to be dramatic, but I think we need to understand these whispers are serious. I don't need to give more examples. God, God tells, God's word tells us they are. I don't need to give more examples. God's word tells us they are serious. I'm also not suggesting that we hang all those who have been busybodies for treason, as I would hang among them. So do we never talk to each other in fear of being a busybody? Do we never ask one brother to pray for another? In my opinion, it's more a matter of the heart. Are we talking because we enjoy being the first to tell? Or are we truly sharing in love what should be shared? Nathan was not a busybody when he said to King David, Thou art the man. Getting back to jurisdiction, the rule of thumb might be, Is this my jurisdiction? An honest, and a word there, important word, is honest answer from the heart will usually keep us out of trouble. But don't fall into this trap. It's because I love the person. It's because I love you. I only tell you that you are overweight and eat too much ice cream because I love you. I know I'm overweight. I know it's because I eat too much ice cream. And you know that I know it. So where is the love? If the person you are addressing already knows what you are telling them, you are likely not to gain a friend. If you are telling someone else, you have already crossed the line. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. Do everything, and I remember Pastor Joe preaching this sermon in that old, not this sermon, I remember him preaching this verse in the old church at the beginning of the Iraq war when there was a question of some in the church, should we go to war or should we not go to war? Anyway, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to get loose. A time to keep and a time to cast away a time to rent and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. At my house, I may ask your child not to swing on the rail of our stairway. We have little rails that go down the stairs to keep it from falling off. 
and I put them in myself and I cut them too short and they don't go deep enough down. And if you pull on them too hard, they'll come out and they'll rip right through that hard wood. I won't do that at your house. Okay? If I, if I see your child at your house sticking a screwdriver in an outlet, I'm going to stop him. And I hope you would do the same for me. This is not speaking of things which ought not. This is something that ought to be spoken of because you don't want your child electrocuted any more than I do. Tell you a story real quick because I'm running out of time. Um, when I was a kid, I had a BB gun and I had one of them pump ones that are really pretty powerful. And my dad bought it for me and I went over to a friend's house and I was walked through the woods or whatever to get there. And he had a little spring BB gun, which wasn't too powerful. And we were shooting in the basement and I think I was tearing up their wall unintentionally. Um, but I found out later from my dad that this man called my dad and told him, he said, do you know how powerful your son's BB gun is? Because he wasn't worried about his wall. He was worried about me shooting somebody accidentally and hurting him. And my dad didn't know, but he, he trusted me with it. So was this man outside of his jurisdiction? Yes. Um, but what he said was said in true love and concern. He was worried about me and me hurting somebody. So nobody was offended. My dad wasn't offended. He didn't take away my BB gun, although he could have. My dad thanked him for sharing his concern, and nothing ever changed. Nothing else was ever said. There is a risk of leaving your there is a risk in leaving your jurisdiction. We should not take it lightly, but with prayer and wisdom. In the DE agent's story, they broke the laws of Mexico. If they had been caught, they would still be in jail. It was very dangerous and risky. The unusual circumstances played a role in the decision, just as a child with a screwdriver does with the outlet. Only the Lord knows where our heart is. Sometimes, or perhaps often, we are deceived. Our words must be chosen carefully and with prayer. Once the word is fired, it is gone. Without clear direction, it would be safest to remain in our own jurisdiction. Remember, each believer has this Holy Spirit indwelling in him, and we are not the Holy Spirit. So hypocrisy and crossing hypocrisy and the crossing of jurisdiction does go on in the church. It has since the beginning and will until the earthly end. What we do to not allow our what do we do to not allow our children to be turned away? Teach them that their faith is in no man. Man will fail them 100% of the time. When the leader of a ministry falls, it should have no more reaction in our hearts than when any of us fall. Our faith is in the Lord. We should be grieved when a brother falls, but our faith should not be rocked. Christ is and always will be on the throne. The faith of our children and ourselves needs to be in Christ alone. Sadly to the lost, the fall of a public ministry only confirms their skepticism. So let's not be the one tripping them. Again, I look back to my friend. I think he wrote down his name. His name is Bert. But um, it was the tripping of that church that drove him away. Um, and then we'll close here because we're really going over time. Um, let's just quickly go to 1 John 3.
verse 23. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And also we'll go to 1 John 2, verses 10 and 11. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of him stumbling. But he that hateth his brother is in the darkness, walketh in the darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And then we'll go to Jeremiah 17. Verses 5 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arms, whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like a, he shall be like a heathen in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in the salt land, and not, and not inhibited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. One way we can teach our children and ourselves not to be disillusioned with the church is to really understand that it is full of broken sinners like you and like me. Christ died for each of us. Christ is the church. Just as we shall all stumble, so will others. Our faith should be in Christ alone. He will never fail us. The failures of the body are not his failures. The failures of the body are why he came, why he died, and why he rose again. There will be a time and a place where our expectation of others will always be met, but it will not be in this life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just, I just thank you, Lord, for the, for the privilege of, of standing here, Lord, um, before the people in your church, Lord. And I know that I'm here as the least of them, Lord. The only thing that gives me peace in being here is knowing that this is where you wanted me, Lord, and this is where I am. And I just pray, Lord, that my words have been those to help us see and understand our own selves better, Lord, as I know I have, Lord. I have been a hypocrite many times over, and I have spoken evil of others and been a busybody many times over, Lord. And I just pray that with your grace, I can, can try to disdain from those in the future, Lord. I just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.